0: News reviews, commentary, not just another podcast uh, The Ordinary baseball Broadcast Go,
1: come on, come on, come on Yo, Rob, what's up? Oh, doing the pee-pee dance, bro? Nice, I love that
0: dance I'm doing the pee-pee dance I invented the pee-pee dance Oh, yeah Oh, I too wish to participate in the dance of the pee-pee But I do not know how It's quite simple, girl I'll show ya! Now here comes your host Kyle A. Baron of the World
1: Seas. Welcome to the Big Ball Broadcast, Episode Thirty One. All the geeky news you can use. My name is Kyle Abair. I'm an anime and video game voice actor on the West Coast,
0: and your co-host of the East Coast Otherworld, Steve. Last couple of weeks, I've been playing documentary producer, but we'll get to that later.
1: Oh no, no, we gotta get to it now, man. Thought you were just focusing on books. Are you focusing on like something we could watch?
0: Yes. Um, I started this project as a book, I and mean, it's not the mosquito stuff. It's something different. Have you ever seen the movie Glory with Matthew Broderick? Denzel Washington. Yes. Okay. Very good movie. It is a very good movie. It takes place in my backyard, almost literally. Um, part of it, anyways. It's like that, but everybody's a Freemason. So, if <laughs> you haven't seen Glory, you're fucked. Some of the volunteers from the, the 54th Massachusetts uh, regiment who went to go fight in the Civil War, um, free black men from the North, a good portion of them were Freemasons, and this kind of a story about how the Civil War and the black regiments in particular help to spread Freemasonry in the South. So I started that as a book, but I, I didn't want to put people to sleep because it gets very boring when you're talking about dates and places. So I wanted it more visceral, more entertaining. So I wanted to have some visuals in there with some good audio, with some music and tell the story. So that's what I'm working on. And I have my first screening <laughs> September 4th. It's going to be a rough cut. It's not even going to be close to being done by then. Uh, and then I have a second screening shortly after that. And I'm kind of excited working with some juggernauts in the area, working with uh, the New Bedford Historical Society, as well as with the New Bedford Whaley Museum. And it's pretty comprehensive. I think it's pretty cool. It keeps me up till about six o'clock every morning. But I do it because I truly love doing it. And it doesn't feel like work little anxious because this is my first time producing a documentary, but
1: I think it'll be all right. You've been spending like the better part of a decade doing research for documentaries like in in book form, basically history of like obscure shit like if people don't know what the mosquito stuff was about, you're talking about animals being used for for warfare purposes
0: essentially a long time ago, close to ten years ago now, I started working on a book about the use of animals in espionage and warfare and it got very overwhelming because it was just too much for me to pick from it it would have turned into an encyclopedia set so i narrowed it down just very specifically to mosquitoes and about how they've played a factor in warfare since just before the civil war in the united states and uh right up to current day the mosquito stuff specifically i i've Done about nine years of research on. You gotta be careful with the United States government. I sound like one of the lone gunmen now. Um, there can be a little pressure put on you. Some people want to know why you want to know this stuff, and sometimes they may throw around words like domestic terrorist, which I think is kind of unfair. But, uh, I put that in the back burner and kind of a good thing, so I get to move on to this project. So hopefully, uh, when I'm done with this project, I'll have enough confidence and hopefully enough of an audience. Where I might turn the mosquito thing into a documentary.
1: Yeah, and, and back to the uh, documentary about you know wanting to add music and all that. I think you can up the entertainment factor. People will not be bored as long as you throw in like a sousaphone or a tuba. See on Facebook that someone like was was just <laughs> pumping away on their tuba at a KKK rally. <laughs> I did not.
0: Uh, <laughs> I have to. I will find that though, because it sounds interesting as fuck.
1: <laughs> it can make everything sound very interesting and entertaining, or just funny at that. A certain point.
0: I learned a lot about the Ku Klux Klan. I, I wasn't very well versed in the Klan. Never been a member, of kids. Um, but because it, it does play pretty heavily into one particular part of the documentary after the Civil War. The states that had seceded from the United States had to reincorporate back into the United States. They, they call it the Reconstruction Era. And at that time, a lot of not only black so- soldiers from the North who went to the South, but also freed black slaves, they all became leading politicians in, in their respective Confederate states to um, rewrite their state constitutions, submit new uh, state constitutions, and... Uh, that's pretty much when the Klan started coming up and didn't like the idea of a bunch of blacks holding political office. And uh, there were some threats made that maybe some of these black politicians should pack their bags and go home. And some people heeded that warning and some didn't. And, and to those who didn't, I think the end count was in South Carolina alone... You ended up with four representatives and one senator being assassinated by the clan. So yeah, definitely a, a dark part of history, but part of the story. So
1: yay. Anyone who listens to the Big Ball broadcast has probably noticed it's it's been a few weeks since we've been able to uh podcast. We've had some uh technical issues, we've had um well, several things. I, I was unavailable. I, I had to go, as Steve is quick to say, I had to go to Ireland. For a convention appearance. And <laughs> it was beautiful there in Limerick, Ireland. Saw some castles. And uh, I proposed to my girlfriend, right or wrong. That's her name, by the way. She's an author. You should check her out. R-Y-T-E-R-R-O-N-G on Amazon. She has a book called Ireland Calls My Name. Historical fiction set against the Cromwellian uh, conquest of Ireland in the 1600s. Where you have the story of an 11-year-old girl from Ireland meets an 11-year-old boy from Africa. And uh, they all rode the slave ships together. That adventure. Also a dark time in history. If you want to check that out. Ireland calls my name. Just search "writer Wrong. R-Y-T-E-R-R-O-N-G on Amazon. You can pick that up on Kindle or on paperback. Meanwhile, so I got engaged... And, uh, I'm pretty, pretty stoked about that. Did the, did, decided to pop the question in Ireland because this was her first trip there. She had spent two years researching her book and, uh, some of her lineage, uh, goes back there. So she was able to, to do that. And then, you know, debuting the book at a, at a convention. We, we, uh, we sold a lot of copies of the paperback there in Ireland at an anime convention, which I think is very, very impressive to, to open and expand people's minds to other things besides, you know, the pop culture stuff that's all around you, especially Japanese culture at an anime convention. So uh, I'm very, very proud of her and uh, excited uh, for our future. It's going to be a long engagement. We're not in any hurry. But we are betrothed, and she's in the background smiling. So uh, I know I'm doing good. You got a year older, right, Steve, during this hiatus? Oh, I...
0: Was dying. I was on my deathbed. No, it wasn't that bad. I did, uh, this is why I'm, I shouldn't clean. I've been telling my wife this for years. Bad things happen when I clean, and I was cleaning up down in my dungeon. And what I didn't see at the time was underneath this really filthy, disgusting pile of grossness was a uh, a broken coffee mug. and when I picked it up, I gashed my thumb open. And I'm a first aid instructor, so I didn't take it very seriously. I kind of did a quick, you know, clean up, bandage, boom, done. And I ended up contracting MRSA, which is fun. MRSA is basically a, a staph infection that is resilient to most antibiotics. And it also makes you ridiculously sensitive to the sun. I have never had a sunburn in my life. I'm a greenhorn, never burned. And now with this medication, I have to be so careful out in the sun. So I really don't know what that's like. But I'm feeling a bit better now. And I think my wife's learned a lesson to never have me clean anything ever again.
1: So never let you out of the house. Never let you touch anything. Stay in your man cave and smoke (laughs) and podcast.
0: (laughs) Nothing kills the mood quicker than MRSA. You are not getting any action at all when that word's being thrown around.
1: Yeah, my daughter had some MRSA stuff a few years back. And she was staying with her mom out of state, and I was like, "What? What is this? Have to do it? Is it the environment you're in? Is it dirty? Are you not hygienic enough? I mean, I, I don't even know. But apparently, yeah. I mean, it, it's just out there. It's hard to get rid of.
0: Yes, it's it's very serious. In most cases, they contact the CDC. They they have you on file with the CDC so that if an outbreak should happen, they can see if there's a correlation with. Did you cause it? And I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, you know? I've, I've been on government lists before, as I alluded to earlier. This isn't the type of government list I didn't want, that I wanted to be on, so. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you're not going to bring about the zombie apocalypse with your MRSA staph infection, I hope. What else has happened? Oh God, Comic Con happened, right? Tiny event in San Diego that generates like a billion dollars a year for the city. What sort of news came out of Comic Con that we wanted to talk about here?
0: I heard, unfortunately, our, uh, our smod father, our patron saint, Kevin Smith, kind of get a raw deal at San Diego Comic Con because I don't think it was announced previous But there was a big Star Wars panel, and the new footage they showed was absolutely amazing. And I was so happy that Disney doesn't have a problem just getting the stuff out there and really giving the fans what they want. So the most talk I heard out of Comic-Con was Star Wars. But right after their panel, they had a big uh, Star Wars concert outside with an orchestra and everything. And they said as a result, people who had panels, nobody showed up. And and I guess... uh, Kevin Smith's panel was kind of a ghost town as a result.
1: But I did hear that J.J. Abrams personally apologized for it.
0: Hey, you know what? I'd love to have a panel to have nobody show up to, and then have J.J. B- J. J. Abrams personally apologize to me for that.
1: That doesn't sound like a bad day at all.
0: So the other thing, let's just, just get this out of the way right now. Yes, there was a new Suicide Squad trailer. Yes, there was a new Batman vs. Superman trailer. And the, the Batman versus Superman trailer is... <sighs> Let me see how I can say this right. <laughs> it's the best one I've seen so far. Yeah. It was interesting to see uh, Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman and and very interesting to see some of the the fight between Batman and Superman. But I was really surprised by the overwhelming response from Comic-Con that nobody was impressed. People are still not impressed at all or, or for the most part uh, admitting anyway that they're looking forward to this film. And it seems that the same can be said about Suicide Squad.
1: Well, it's like a year out, right? Pretty much for Batman and Superman. So it's, it's, it's a long way away. I mean, even last Comic Con at least had, you know, the, the, the thing of, of Batman looking up in the sky and Superman looking down in the rain and all that. They had that, like, do you bleed or something like that? That must have been like fresh off the, off the shoot. <laughs> like the dailies were just like the film still dripping or whatever. I mean, I guess they shoot in video for the most part nowadays. But this movie is still a long ways off. I guess if Warner Brothers is is kind of freaking out in their boots right now at all the negative reaction, you could just throw a few million dollars at reshoots <laughs> and maybe fix something.
0: I think the issue is... Pretty unfixable, from what I understand, and from what I'm reading, the issue is that this is still coming off the heels of the previous Superman movie, where Superman is just a straight up dick. The the premise for this movie is, of course, that you know there's some concerns about Superman, whether or not he can be trusted, and after the uh, the chaotic aftermath he left behind in, in the city. Well, yeah, absolutely. If you've seen that movie, you feel that's absolutely well justified. Batman should just roll up on him with a 357 Magnum, with a, a kryptonite shell, and just lodge one between his eyes. and the story. Roll the credits. People are thinking, this dick is going to be part of Justice League? This dick is, is going to be referred to as a hero? This dude's just a dick. I think that's the problem that can't be fixed at this point.
1: Yeah, I guess so, especially if there's a big cinematic universe plan, which I think... DC is definitely doing to counter Marvel's big plan. It's like, here's all the different movies. We're going to do Flash. We're going to do, uh, Green Lantern again. Yeah. I mean, I see what they're, what they're doing, especially from, from, from the new trailer is that absolutely. I mean, if Bruce Wayne from, from you, can gather, he was there in Metropolis the day that Soup and General Zod are, are, duking it out and destroying millions of dollar, billions of dollars in property, millions of lives lost. It's, it's pretty easy why the government and Batman would sit there and say, "You know, this dude from outer space, he's he's not uh he's not that good."
0: But then all of a sudden it's gonna twist, and all of a sudden he's gonna be leading the Justice League. You know, I I think that's a really big pill to swallow. Real quick, the other issue too, and you know, it's always tough to know if it's an issue because we won't know until the movie comes out and see how the box office responds. But a very 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 mixed bag about Jared Leto's uh, depiction of the Joker. So you've seen it, I'm sure.
1: I thought it was decent. It looked more grounded, like more like Chris Nolan stuff, but it's not necessarily a compliment there because after seeing a world of flying capes and over the top, this, that, and the other. This seems more like it's mercenaries going in for a mission and, yeah, they're dangerous and this, that, and the other, but they're not necessarily over-the-top superhero adventures, especially after you've had the, the the grounded realism of Daredevil and have it work so well. You go back to the DC stuff. Other than an extreme curiosity, it's like, how are these characters going to translate to the big screen in live action for the first time? for, for most of these characters. I can't say after watching that trailer that it is like, oh, jaw dropping. I can't, I can't wait. Here's my money and all that. I'm interested. I'm more interested than I was before the trailer dropped. So in that respect, yeah, they did their job. They, they piqued my interest. And, and, and same with Batman versus Superman. Jared Leto, um, I don't know. He still looks like a hot topic version of Joker to me. I'm not dogging on his acting ability. I think he's an awesome, awesome actor, and I'm sure he'll bring his own little spin to it. Of course, we can't fairly judge that until it comes out as, as far as it goes to, you know, comparing to Heath Ledger. You know, there, there's people that defend Jack Nicholson still to this day going, that's the definitive Joker, or Cesar Romero is the definitive Joker. You know, it's different to every person. There's still a legion of people out there that say, Fuck all these guys. Mark Hamill's the Joker.
0: I had a conversation earlier today, and I agree. Fuck all these guys. Mark Hamill is the Joker.
1: Which I guess DC announced. uh, Did they announce this at Comic-Con? The killing joke is finally going to be a thing?
0: Yes, it's going to be a thing.
1: And that's what what I heard that that Mark Hamill was really kind of holding out for. You know, He hasn't really been the Joker, except in the games, here in the past few years. But this was like his near and dear Batman story to, to see happen. And I don't see why they wouldn't go back and get the core cast for that.
0: I think that was a great story. I mean, even back in the day when it came out, that was, well, it was groundbreaking actually when it came out. I love Brian Bolland. I always have. I've loved his work with Judge Dredd. And he had this gorgeous Brian Bolland cover of the Joker. You've got Barbara Gordon getting shot and paralyzed. You've got the, the death of a Robin. Yeah, I, I, I said it last podcast, I'll say it again. When it comes to DC's animated films, they knock it out of the park. It, it's, it's become such a no-brainer to me that if I see a new DC movie on the shelf, uh, DVD or Blu-ray, I'm going to pick it up. I, I don't even read the back or anything because they are fucking awesome. And to have this announcement that Mark Hamill's attached to it, it, it makes it so much more of a no-brainer.
1: Other trailers that came out, Ash versus Evil Dead. You know, it's going to be on stars. This fall, Uh, a lot of us are are cord cutters, so we don't have cable, so that'll be interesting. Uh, I don't know where you can access stars On Demand unless you're a cable subscriber. Makes me happy, though, to see, you know, uh, Sam Raimi directed the first episode, and that's probably where a lot of the footage from the the trailer of Ash vs. Evil Dead have emerged. But um, all of the Bruce Campbell fans are squeeing like schoolgirls. I'm pretty happy with it. I don't know, did you ever watch any of the Evil Dead flicks? I did not,
0: but I do like Bruce Campbell. I know, how can you like Bruce Campbell without seeing Evil Dead? I don't know, but I I do dig him. I'm a little curious after seeing the trailer, and because it's kind of a a mini-series and probably won't be an ongoing series, I I might check it out.
1: Right, right. You should go back and watch uh, the originals. You know, The first one, not so much. I say skip to part two and then Army of Darkness, which is three. You know, they made a serious version of Evil Dead a few years ago, which I thought was really good in terms of reboots, but uh, the fans are just dying to see the Bruce Campbell version come back. So here we are. Instead of an Evil Dead 4, we get a TV series, which, you know, blew me out of the water. It's like, what? Seriously? We're... A, a TV series? Now, yeah, it's not going to be like a gazillion episodes or anything. I'm sure it won't last beyond a, a, a season. Kudos to, to stars for, for doing genre entertainment. I guess it all started with Spartacus a few years back. They can actually take a, a at least a minuscule budget and do something interesting with it. Whereas we see things like Sharknado and, and things that Sci-Fi Channel does, utter shit, most of the time.
0: I'll tell you what, I found really interesting out of San Diego Comic Con was, um, Netflix announcing their roster of films coming out. And wow, if it didn't seem clear before, it certainly seems clear now. Netflix is positioned to really start causing some prettiest concerns to the box office take. You have, uh, Adam Sandler contracted for four films with netflix the first coming out december 11th which is called the ridiculous six you have the next crouching tiger hidden dragon called the green legends coming out on netflix um Pee-wee's big holiday coming out in march of 2016 um and then of course daredevil and the other marvel things coming out yeah they've uh they've come a long way and when when you can grab somebody like Adam Sandler and lock him into an exclusive four-picture deal for your online little movie house. I think that's when things start, you know, rattling the cage a little bit, making a little bit of noise, and people start sitting up and taking some attention.
1: Have you heard about all the flack that this new movie Pixels is getting?
0: My kids are are. Uh... 5 and 8, and they kind of look at that with a little bit of interest, but I think if you're a little above that age bracket, perhaps 12 or older, it looks pretty ridiculous.
1: I've heard there's some pretty rageful hate uh, aimed at that movie's execution. I mean, I could tell you watching the trailer, it's like, no, this just shouldn't be. I'm looking across the Facebook feed, and it's like, you know, guys, I saw on Reddit, this is basically a Futurama episode.
0: Oh. It is. I love Futurama, and that was my first thought when I saw that first trailer, is you're fucking ripping off Futurama now. But more so, a lot of Kids, I'd say the vast majority of the kids today, have no idea who the fuck these arcade characters are.
1: Pac-Man, are they really going to know who the fuck Pac-Man is?
0: Centipede, Donkey Kong, you know, I think that's way too before their times. Yeah, we know who they are, but we have no interest in seeing this film.
1: It works so well for Wreck-It Ralph because it's animated. You know, if it's animated, it's going to pique a kid's interest usually anyway by default. Like, ooh, animation!
0: And that wasn't really the driving plot, Right. To have to deal with all these classic arcade characters, yes, you had that, and the people who got it, got it. And a lot of animated films nowadays, they're in jokes and nods to the adults in the audience, so they don't fall asleep during these films, and, and it's over the kids' heads. So that's what I think, the way Wreck-It Ralph presented it. To, to go out and do a balls-out two-hour film, focusing around these classic characters, yeah, maybe... 25, 30 years ago, but not in 2015. It
1: doesn't surprise me that the advance reviews are so god awful for, for that. It, it, I mean, all Adam Sandler movies are that way. They're just historically that way. I mean, all the ones that people say are the beloved, like Happy Madison or Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore. Those got trashy reviews back in the day, too. But for some reason, some people think that they're comedy gold.
0: Uh, Sandler's never going to have a billion dollar movie. We can be pretty candid about that. You know, it, it's, it's what I say about geekdom. Whatever, you know, whatever your geek is, whatever your kink is. If you look at Adam Sandler films, hey, knock yourself out. I'm not going to criticize you yeah, i'll criticize the films but i'm not going to criticize the people watching the film that's
1: right i mean it's all subjective whatever you like you like and you don't need to justify it you either like it or you don't and you're not a lesser person for liking it i'm just saying for me that the adam sandler stuff is never it's never connected i just look at it and go all right it's funny as an snl skit all right it's cute beyond that i don't think it can carry a whole fucking movie
0: speaking of carrying a whole movie well not a movie but a cast of characters should i say Mhm. Uh, We have an update on the whole Harry Shearer debacle with The Simpsons. He's back. I guess money talks. They they have a new deal in place. And I'm a little shocked. This comes from uh, Entertainment Weekly. These fuckers are are looking at about $300,000 per episode. I gotta say it again. I personally, I'm not part of the industry, so forgive me, Kyle and other voice actors out there. But I don't think you have a right to fucking complain about a damn thing when you're making $300,000 an episode. I don't care if they ask you to show up in the studio in a fucking pink tutu with a naked monkey hanging out fucking your left ear while you're eating a bucket of broken glass. Because you're making 300000 fucking dollars an episode. Don't complain that you feel you're being constricted and can't do outside work. Go fuck yourself.
1: Is that show still the ratings juggernaut it was decades ago? You know,
0: I don't get it. Something's going on because obviously Fox can justify that type of payment to their cast for The Simpsons. I don't think they're getting the numbers they did 10, 20 years ago, you know? I worked in a toy store. In the early 90s, and that's when you saw a lot of The Simpsons merchandise. And even at that, it was kind of short-lived, and a lot of it was just Warming the shelves, but I can't say it enough. You're getting paid three hundred thousand dollars an episode. You're going to complain uh, and then take a show hostage. You know, be- it's weird. It would have been a situation kind of like after Mel Blanc died, and Warner Brothers was kind of in a lurch. You can't hire one person to do all those voices. You'd, you'd have to hire, you know, a gallery to be able to do all that. And that's what Fox was looking at. Yeah, we're not going to get rid of the characters. We can't possibly kill off all of those characters. But we'll hire enough sound alike to to kinda of get through. I hate to say it, but I think Fox would almost be in a, a better position to do that because you can pay these new people dirt cheap. They they wouldn't be grandfathered in under the contract everybody else has.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say that, you know, any other voice person would would kill to just even get a day rate, which is like about $800 for your four-hour session or whatnot. I can't imagine making that kind of money in a four-hour session. I mean, yeah, they have table reads, but still. So you spend two days a week, maybe eight hours total, Going down to the Fox lot, do you do your read through? And then you do the record a couple days later. And, uh, yeah, your check shows up a few weeks later. And then that's, that's enough for, well, maybe not a house in LA (laughs) where like houses cost more than that, but that's still a shit ton of money. The kicker
0: for me, according to the entertainment weekly article, was that he doesn't even show up for the table reads. He does the table reads from home on the phone. So it's like, yeah, you can't complain.
1: <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah, I guess you could just teleconference or have people on Skype and just people do it that way. You don't even have to sit in, in the same room anymore.
0: He sitting in his underwear with a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken between his legs. Make it $3,000 an episode. Shut the fuck up,
1: Harry. <laughs> Dude, that's the future. That's the future. <laughs> Here we are podcasting for both sides of the country. We could be in our underwear. We're not going to give that away. But, you know, when technology gets to the point where we don't even have to physically go to studios to record anymore. It's like, how lazy can you get? But how convenient, too. So what else happened? Uh, Ant-Man. Ant-Man happened. It's it's not making as big a splash as, you know, an Avengers movie. And, you know, who expected that it would? But it's generally got positive reviews. Um, it seems to be well-liked. Uh, I don't see anyone going, oh, my God, this is a definitive Marvel movie or anything like that. Uh, it's likable. I saw it. I, you know, it's not bad. But uh, I was telling Steve, it's like it's no Winter Soldier, and of course you were telling us, or you telling me, Steve, that you know, and Winter Soldier has like set this bar so high that it seems like movies after that are just doomed.
0: It's become everybody's comparison with Marvel films. Somebody goes and sees a Marvel film, and you don't even ask, how was Ant-Man? You just come out and say, so was it better or worse than Winter Soldier? I don't know if that's fair. So any other properties to do that. I I think Winter Soldier It's not. It It was an anomaly. It it was an action film. It was uh, a Mission Impossible or a Jason Bourne movie. Um, done in the Marvel Universe, and it was very, very well done. But I don't think it's really fair going forward to compare everything to Winter Soldier.
1: <laughs> I know. It's cruel. Now, because it's very lighthearted and fun and funny, you could make the comparison to Guardians. You, know, you could say, okay, that's another relatively unknown property, came out of nowhere, and then it became a huge, huge thing because the, the formula just worked. The cast was great. Yeah, Paul Rudd's awesome. They had a really stellar cast, Michael Douglas and, and so forth and everything, and it seems like the ingredients are there, but uh, for whatever reason, I just don't feel the need to just go see it again and again and again and again. You know, there are funny moments, there are you know, exciting moments, really good plotted out action sequences and whatnot. It's very creative. Nothing making me going, okay, this is the weakest entry in the Marvel universe. If I had to say the weakest entry, I don't know, it's either between Hulk with Ed Norton or uh maybe The Dark World, the second Thor movie. Uh and even those I don't think are that bad.
0: Iron Man 3. <laughs> oh, you didn't
1: like Iron Man 2 or 3? I did not. Ah, okay. See, I liked 2 okay. I thought 3 was stellar. I I, I saw that enough times on a fucking plane rides that it's like, you know, I like this movie. I do like it. I, I wasn't sure about it when I saw it in the theaters, and then I just saw it over and over again. My
0: problem with, with Iron Man 3 is that the, the whole motivation for the bad guy is that this smug, arrogant, billionaire playboy blew you off on New Year's Eve, so you're gonna turn into this super evil, vile fuck and and take over the world as a result. Really? that's
1: that's okay it's like watching die hard all they are is bank robbers (laughs) that's all alan rickman and his team are they just want fucking money
0: i think that's a better motivation than ah the 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 pompous dude blew me off of course the pompous dude blew you off that's what fucking pompous people do get over it don't get your panties on a wad so i I do have to ask because i haven't seen ant-man yet i've heard and, and i'm trying to keep myself really spoiler free yeah. but i heard there's a couple like big oh shit moments things that are kind of opening the door to a wider marvel universe did you come away with that did you say wow that was really uh, oh, wow that fucked with my head
1: i wouldn't say it fucked with my head it it made me excited I mean, the way that the Marvel teasers do, post-credits, you know, you're always getting two per film, basically. The one early on in the credits and then the one after the very end of the credits. You get a couple of those. And, yeah, I mean, this is no exception. This is one it, it's definitely worth staying for. It, it It's not an earth-shattering, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God sort of thing. Like when we first saw Nick Fury show up and, at the end of Iron Man or, or, hell, even Iron Man showing up at the end of Hulk. That's too bad. I will say that this movie is worth actually worth going ahead and springing for the 3D. Normally, I'm not, you know, saying, oh, yeah, throw extra money at a gimmick. It's just, you know, it's a cash grab. This movie was shot in 2D, which is even more insulting because, you know, so was Guardians. But, the, but the, but the transfer into 3D actually worked really well. And Winter Soldier, as great a film as it was, I didn't think really benefited from 3D. But this one, because ant-man and you know the character is shrinking down to such a small level and everything i think it actually does work and so i think it's to your benefit to pay the extra few bucks if you want to enjoy it you're going to have a good time i just don't think it's gonna you're i don't think you're gonna walk out of there going oh my god i just want to see it over and over and over and over and over again you may say all right that was decent i was entertained Okay, what's next? Is is it December yet? Is it time for episode seven?
0: Was it well done though? The, the shrinking stuff because my experience with shrinking movies, I, I, I never enjoyed them growing up. You you had that one movie, the name escapes me right now, with Lily Tomlin.
1: Oh, the um, Incredible Shrinking Woman.
0: There you go. That that wasn't too well. And and then you had a couple with uh, Rick Moranis.
1: Oh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And you have Inner Space with Martin Short, Dennis Quaid. I thought that was actually a good one.
0: Kind of had that trend going on there in the 80s with the the shrinking films. And as long as it's done well, because in my experience anyway, it hasn't been done well
1: yet. You're a harsher critic than I, Steve. So I will say that I think you will enjoy the 3D. I think the action sequences you'll enjoy. I think you'll enjoy the lightheartedness of it, but I think you will at least agree with me going, okay, it's no Winter Soldier. No, I mean, <laughs> you'll just at least agree that this is this is not another Guardians where everything just fell into place and, oh my God, I care about these characters so much that I can't wait to see them again.
0: No, but you know, you really hit the nail on the head um, with something you just said, and that was the lightheartedness. And that is a factor that I am truly so appreciative that Marvel is leaving intact in their films. You know, I don't think DC really has under contract, you know, no jokes in our films. So everybody's making that comment. Oh, DC, they're very clear with everything going forward in the cinematic universe, no jokes, no no brevity, no lightheartedness. I don't know if that's true, but we haven't seen any of that yet. I like the humor in the Marvel films. I like having that moment to kind of catch your breath before we go back to fucking somebody up and, and having that that brief levity. So, I'm kind of going in with that idea that for the most part it, it's kind of a goofy film, and I dig that. But you know what? Speaking of of goofy films, and I can totally take my critic hat off for this, we have a release date for Pacific Rim 2, which, uh, to me, is just incredible. I look forward to this as much as I probably look forward to Star Wars. And uh, that's coming out August 4th, 2017. From Del Toro, he's talking about, uh, this is going to focus more on the kaiju and on the drift than it's going to actually figure on the, um, the, the mechs used. So, that's interesting. Um, maybe a little bit more of how this rift appeared. Um, what type of dimensional things are at work? What exactly is going on with the drift? And now you have people that are kind of locked into the drift. The, uh, the two scientists where. They're drifting with these aliens, so what does that mean for the future of Earth? I don't know, but I've said it before about this film, I'll say it again, mindless fun. This isn't something you walk out of the theater and have a two-hour debate on the merits of some of the things that happened is just go in totally fucking zombified, have your bucket of popcorn and your 32 ounce Coke and just go numb for two hours. And this
1: this is a good example of taking a good cast and making them act badly (laughs) because that's the intention is to have this great homage to old school kaiju films.
0: And I don't know if the rumor's true that there are some rumors floating around social media that there might be a tie in with Godzilla with this next film. I don't know. Uh, whatever whatever you want to throw at me i'm i'm willing to take it
1: dude my panties are are uh yeah i need to ring them out because that notion that godzilla would team up with the pacific rim idea of jaegers and all that yeah that that would be so killer
0: so i'm really really looking forward to that
1: yeah and they did actually date a new godzilla film i think that's for 2018 yeah i think they got gareth edwards back on board again who uh is uh next project after the The Godzilla from last year is taking on Rogue One, the first Star Wars spinoff movie, which is after episode seven. Uh, so he's gonna go back to Godzilla for the sequel. So I'm pretty excited about that, and I'm sure, uh, they've already announced that, uh, Ghidra and Rodan, uh, and I think at least one other, you know, basic one classic, uh, kaiju from the old school stuff will all be making appearances, and let's hope that they, they they put more than six minutes of monster footage in the film.
0: Well, you know, somebody a while back did a graph on the the duration that you got to see Godzilla in all of the films. And believe it or not, it's kind of on par with probably like half the Godzilla films where they're very character heavy, very person driven, and then, you know, towards the end you get to see those full shots of Godzilla. So I think people who have that particular criticism need to go back and watch some of the old Toho films and realize yeah that's, that's kind of how it's been
1: all along. When I saw the Godzilla from 2014 I said you know this is I, this is exciting it's fun it's exactly what a Godzilla movie needs to be and everyone's going where's Godzilla he's hardly in the fucking thing and I go have you seen the original movies do you know that that is it's character driven it's person driven and every time you get the monster scenes that's like a money shot. It's a buildup. It, you know, it's just like Jaws. It works so well because you didn't see the fucking shark all the time.
0: That's wonderful because Jaws was such a happy accident and there's a documentary floating around out there now about the making of Jaws, and they really drive that point home. The reason you don't see the shark for the majority of the film is because they couldn't get the shark to work for the majority of the film, and Spielberg got really frustrated and had to shoot around that. And initially, he was really disappointed with the final cut of that film, but people ate it up, and it became part of filmmaking, where where filmmakers now intentionally don't want to give you that money shot because not seeing the threat... That's so much more terrifying when your brain takes over and starts to try to interpret what that threat is that 's the scary shit that 's why films like Blair Witch Project really took off because you don't see the threat during the entire
1: film or alien, which you know Ridley Scott at the time they were shooting it going, "Oh my God, you know I hope this works because in a, in essence it's a guy in a suit that 's all it really is it's a fu- it 's a fucking dude in a in a in a monster costume that 's all the alien really is." But if you shoot it creatively enough, keep it in the shadows, don't show it, you know, in full glory all the time. You can build suspense, obviously, through editing and everything. Anyone who takes a film class can understand, you know, the, uh, the power of not only editing, but score, you know, uh, symphonic music, a music cues from, you know, Jerry Goldsmith and in, in Alien or John Williams in Jaws, you know, the, you know, it sets the tone.
0: I'll tell you a, a film. That's probably going to get a lot of hype that I'm already kind of a little nervous about. We already know that the first standalone film in, coming out in between this trilogy of new Star Wars films is Rogue Squadron. It seems very interesting. You're uh, Saving Private Ryan in space. Uh, allegedly the story of how the Rebels got the Death Star plans that are are so heavily incorporated into the first Star Wars film. Rumors abound that Darth Vader is actually going to be in this film. He's not going to be the main baddie, but he's going to be pulling some strings behind the scenes. So very excited about that. But we have official confirmation on the second standalone film, and it's going to be a Han Solo film. Now, I just want to say this, so I can kind of get this off my chest and sleep tonight. Lucas was thinking about bringing Solo in to um episode 3. He wanted to have Han Solo on Kashyyyk, the Wookiee Planet, and have a little nod with this this young Han Solo, and I'm glad he didn't do that. I hope this this focuses a lot more on Solo uh being an Imperial officer and, and perhaps his early days of smuggling more than uh, a, a buddy cop film with Chewbacca. Not that I don't like Chewbacca, but I want this really to be about Han Solo, and I, I don't really need a Han Solo and Chewbacca, because it's just going to feel like average Star Wars Star Wars fare at that point. And of course, you know, casting, you're not going to have Harrison Ford play a a younger Han Solo. So it'll be very interesting when the casting announcements come out to see who our next Han Solo is going to be.
1: Again, you you have Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt could take over Harrison Ford's all of his roles, right? He could be Indy. He could be Han Solo. I'm on board with it.
0: Wouldn't that just be like synchronicity? You know, to have him do both as Harrison Ford did, and I could think I can jump on board with that. The, the one thing I've always said about Harrison Ford, um, he's he's a he makes uh, distinguishing characters. Um, I, I liken him kind of to Johnny Depp as well. When when these guys do a film, they bring life to a character. And when I first saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, I, I never once thought, "Oh, that's Han Solo from Star Wars." It was so different, the, the approach, the acting, the the mannerisms. It, it didn't feel like the same. It was a fresh right. team. And I think Johnny Depp brings that to a lot of the roles he plays, too. Pratt, I haven't seen him in much, but I, I'd like to see him have that opportunity to be that diverse of a, a character actor where he could be in these two really big properties and people are going, ah, it's just Pratt again. But, you know, speaking of Chris Pratt, this dude's going to keep riding the fucking money train because... We just also had an announcement that there's a Jurassic World sequel. Shocking. Surprise, I know. Um, And this is scheduled for June twenty second, 2018. So a little less than three years from now. You have the um, original writers for Jurassic World coming back to write the sequel. And yeah, I mean, obviously, when a film makes... uh, $1.5 $1.5 billion in a couple weeks worldwide just in the box office prior to a Blu-ray or DVD release. Of course you knew you were going to see more dinosaurs, but uh fucking hell for Pratt, man. Give that dude a pat on the back.
1: He's just like, you know, he's a relatively new father, so he's like, okay, I'm going <laughs> to bang out all these big blockbusters as much as I can and just live off that <laughs> because it's expensive raising a kid. He's making Harry Shearer kind of money. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Every minute of screen time plus residuals. What the hell, man? All I have to toss out there. I'm super, super stoked. I know you aren't because you couldn't care less, Steve. We talked about it before. Mad Max Fury Road, my favorite movie of the year so far, is dropping on September 1st. Which is actually just around the corner. It seems pretty far away, but here we are. It's almost August. So it's like September 1st on DVD and Blu-ray and a big fuck you to a group called Fakes Forge who creates fake press releases with fake special edition versions that are coming out there. Like they, they put this one that had a Morton Joe's mask in, in a special edition Blu-ray set. Another with uh, Max's car and friends are sitting there debunking going, these, these aren't. Approved. These aren't uh, official, so um, much hate to to people out there. You know, when they do these special editions, I don't necessarily get them anymore because I'm trying to declutter the apartment as much as possible. But if you did have one with Immortan Joe's mask. I would probably get that because if especially if it were a life size mask, I could actually go around cons and do that. Cause I go to anime cons and all pop culture events and all that sort of things all the time. I'm dying to see people cosplay as that I'm dying to see Furiosa. I've seen some, some war boys cosplayers and all that, but yeah, Fury road, man. That fucking movie is awesome, and I I can't wait to pick that up on September 1st.
0: News out of Comic-Con. Jesus Christ, it's going to be another standalone Batman movie. I didn't see that coming. What was weird, and the big announcement out of this, is Ben Affleck is not only starring as Batman, but he's directing it. I'm pulling this from io9, and I do agree with one of the quotes here where they say that, One of their concerns is that Affleck likes dark and gritty crime stories in a way that, in more of a way than uh, Chris Nolan ever did. If the really dark, brooding Batman bothered you, it could be a billion times worse with, with Batfleck directing. I'm, I'm not saying it's going to be. I'm just kind of putting it out there that, you know, Affleck does, uh, when it comes to directing, have uh, a flair for the uh, the more serious, the the darker, grittier take on film. I just, I don't think we need that with, with these superhero movies, as I already talked about at length. You need some some of that levity in there to get through it.
1: Well, at least it does differentiate it, because if the DC movies had the hardness of Marvel, Marvel, then they would just look like clones. They would just all be interchangeable, right? In a sense,
0: I feel bad for DC because they, they were always in a position to play catch up to Marvel cinematically. A lot of the judgment calls just seem to be counterintuitive to what the fans actually want. And I hope one day that they get all on the same page and they start doing things decent. Just the more I keep hearing about it, th- this sounds like a lot of lather, rinse, repeat coming out of DC, where everything's following the same formula. That can get really boring really quick. And then I get a little concerned that this might be the albatross around the neck of superhero films. And even though Marvel might continue to make great films if DC continues to make subpar or outright shitty films, it might just burn out the genre quicker than anybody thinks.
1: It's not a sci-fi or action or fantasy or horror per se in any regard. It's its own genre. It's like, what kind of movie is it? Oh, it's a superhero movie.
0: And they have a lot of talk, uh, of course, about like we've said about Star Wars, where you can have different directors take different takes and they don't necessarily have to be cookie cutter. You, you can do a noir sci-fi superhero film. You could do that. You you could do a... They keep saying buddy cop, because I think that would be fun. I'd like... You know, uh, the the notion of sidekicks hasn't existed in a long time. Not not since uh, the the horrible Batman and Robin nipple suit movies. But i would like to see some of the sidekicks come in. I loved Young Justice.
1: They pulled it because, oh yeah, too many girls are watching. You know, some sexist bullshit.
0: I hate to admit this. This is one of those things where I can say it to you, but I don't really think I can say it to a lot of other people. I love the humor in the in Teen Titans Go. My kids love it because it's kind of geared towards that age group. But my wife and I laugh our asses off. Um, Raven is fucking hilarious. I know I gave Tara some shit about complaining about Powerpuff Girls. But, man, she, she in my opinion, is the one that holds that cast together for Teen Titans Go. I, I love her approach with Raven. Yeah, I understand she's got a script and she has a director, but... Her delivery on, on Raven, that, that deadpan humor is fucking hilarious. So as long as she's still involved with Teen Titans Go, I will keep watching that show.
1: See, I'm going to have to like give it another shot because I only watched like the premiere episode and said, this is not for me. I, I miss the old show. Just bring back the old fucking show. I like the fact that they, you know, occasionally went into the, the anime tropes where they would just suddenly be chibi forms and, and with big heads and all that. And then the thrust of Go seems to be like they're eternally in that form. They don't go back to their, their normal character designs. They're just always in that. And it's not plot oriented. It's more just mundane, everyday sort of antics and everything and more, more silly than cool or interesting or whatnot. But I mean, obviously it, it's still around. It's someone's watching it. Someone likes it. So yeah, sometimes shows take a little while to find their footing. And, uh, this may be one of those.
0: It's over the top. It's outlandish. It, it's, Very, very, very far removed from canon. As you said, it's, it's very episodic. And I had that same attitude for a few months. Like, oh, this is kitty shit. I'm not going to watch this. But it's kind of like the more I've been exposed to it, the more I appreciate it to the point now where I'll put it on even if my kids aren't home. Because some of it's just, it's really just goddamn funny. They'll make nods to the original series, which is hilarious. They'll, somebody will break into song and start singing the original theme song or, um, Terra shows up and when Terra showed up they they kept her in continuity from the previous iteration of the animated series and that made that episode even funnier knowing the history she had with the Titans and and they acknowledge all that. So yes, it, it's for kids, but I think it's something that the adults can really enjoy. Again, it's something you got to kind of shut your brain off on because it, there's no continuity or anything, but it's pretty fucking funny.
1: It's good for an ADD generation, right? People's short attention spans,
0: my kids, both of them fucking tablets. Oh my God.
1: Smartphones. You know, speaking
0: of all that bullshit, <clears throat> this is really weird. man. I'm still waiting for somebody to say, ha, it's just a joke. But, uh, there's an emoji movie coming out from Sony Pictures. Have you heard about this?
1: Only in glancing across the social media feeds I did not actually click on the story to read it though
0: It's really wild and you've got the director of Kung Fu Panda on board and that's just so weird and of course the news came out on the rollout of pixels so everybody's already rolling their eyes. I don't get it. we don't need everything to do with with Internet or pop culture being made into a film. So, yeah, I, I'm waiting. Hopefully, next podcast, I can say, haha, this is just a joke, but people are taking it very seriously right now, and I just don't get
1: it. You said the director of Kung Fu Panda is uh, attached to that. It just made me think of Kung Pao 2, which is actually just got greenlit. It's like after all these years. Did you ever see that one, Kung Pao?
0: It was brilliant. And I would really look forward to seeing another one. That's a film I put kind of up on the shelf with um, Pacific Rim, where it's just good-natured fun. You you cheat yourself if you're going to nitpick it afterwards. You just have to go in, experience it, and just enjoy it for what it is. And I did, I enjoyed the fuck out of it.
1: And, and this one, I would actually go to theaters and see, I missed the last one. I just caught it on video. And it's like, you know, this is pretty fucking brilliant. And then the, the one last
0: little tidbit out a comic con that I wanted to uh, bring to our listeners attention is, I guess there's still a possibility that Wesley Snipes may be coming back and, and portraying blade for Disney now with uh, the new cinematic universe He does say that they have had some talks, and uh, he never said no. He's saying, you know, it's on the table, and hopefully someday soon I'll I'll be able to say more. But uh, I guess that the door is open, and the possibility certainly does exist. Um, And of course, Snipes is, is very candid in saying it may not be a standalone film. Don't don't get excited that a Blade Four is coming out. He just may be another character introduced to this growing epic uh, cinematic universe. Where he he just may pop up. Um, the other thing too is it, this isn't going to happen in anything in phase three. Um, if this does happen, it'll probably be Phase 4, uh, which we don't even really know what Phase 4 is going to be about. Or, who knows, it may be a lower-budget standalone that may not be under the Disney tentpole. Maybe one of the subsidiaries will release it. Yeah, if, if anything does happen, again, it, we won't know probably for a few more years.
1: I always enjoyed the hell out of Blade. I, I loved 1 and 2. 3 was, was not so good, but I do love the first 2. 2 was uh, Del Toro. Yeah, I want to see that character back and I I'd be totally on board if they want to bring Wesley Snipes back. I mean, that that's kind of unheard of. It's like, here's a new here's a new incarnation, here's a new reboot, but we're going to bring the old actor back for it.
0: Yeah. He's kind of the only person we know as Blade, so let it
1: ride. Yeah, well, the other actor that had the TV series, but I mean, that was pretty short-lived.
0: And you know what? That it wasn't that bad. It it was Pretty graphic, <laughs> it pretty much stayed on par with w- what you would see in a film. That's another show I was reluctant to for a while. And then when I started watching, it, I was like, gee, I don't know what my problem was because it's really not that bad.
1: I guess that's uh, about all the time we have. Yeah, we really appreciate you guys uh, tuning in to the Big Ball broadcast. Normally, we do Tuesday night streams at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. And of course, our our, uh, our link for our chat room and live audio feed are posted on uh, our social media, which you can follow us at BB Broadcast and TheBigBallBroadcast at gmail.com and Facebook.com slash TheBigBallBroadcast. Don't forget all those lovely avenues where you can give us all your feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, topics, opinions, reviews. Throw the kitchen sink at us. We might even throw that on the air because we're desperate and lonely and we just want attention and love.
0: <laughs> I'm just sitting here nodding in agreement, yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Until next time, this is Kyle Abear. And this is Otherworld Steve. See ya! Special thanks to Will Wilkins and Jason Peer. Music provided by Zero Reynolds. Follow us on Twitter at BB Broadcast and email thebigballbroadcast at gmail.com.